Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. Suicide is a tragedy that leaves a legacy of sorrow, pain, and confusion. With over a million people worldwide dying each year by suicide, it accounts for more deaths than all the casualties of homicide and war combined. As of 2019, suicide was the 10th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of over 47,500 people. Suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 10 and 34, and the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 35 and 44. There were nearly two and a half times as many suicides, 47,000 in the United States, as there were homicides, 19,000. Well, one of the real tragedies about suicide is that many of these deaths could have been prevented with proper education, training, and targeted intervention pro approaches that help people recognize the signs and risks factors associated with suicide. Joining us for today's conversation about suicide prevention is Dustin Morris, who is the area director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention here in Alaska. Welcome to the program, Dustin. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real honor. Now, did I get the, uh, the title right, Area Director for Alaska? What exactly does that mean? Yeah, you did. It is, it's is—it's a bit of a mouthful because it, our, <laughs> the name of our organization is so long, and then you tag in Alaska Chapter. And so um, as the Area Director, uh, I, I'm the solitary staff person for our volunteer-led organization, and that means that my job really is to support the community and support the volunteer effort that's being made across our state to save lives and bring hope to those affected by suicide. All right. Well, we are going to uh, get a little bit more about your background, and then we're going to jump right into uh, what y'all's uh, mission is there and what's happening in the community. Um, we're going to look at risk factors. So it's going to be it's going to be a good hour. Uh, I think most of us have been touched by suicide at some point, um, and it's a it's a devastating thing that happens uh, to families um, and to people. So before we get started, I need to take a moment to remind our listeners how we can be reached. In Anchorage, our phone number is 550-8433. If you're outside of the Anchorage area, our toll-free number is 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to get your questions or comments on the air is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Got to spell out line1, L-A-N-E-O-N-E. Um. We appreciate any calls or comments uh, on this topic. If you have a question for Dustin, please feel free to reach out. Calls always enrich our show. Okay, so uh, Dustin, can you give us a little bit of your background and uh, how you came to be in this position, um, why why you chose this this area to work in? Yeah, actually, it's, it's, I think it's a really interesting story. Um, I was working for the American Heart Association and was the race director for the Alaska Heart Run and uh, organized the Anchorage Heart Walk. And I did that for several years um, when I was approached by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to come on as their area director. Um, I turned down the opportunity. I think for like many people, I didn't find any interest in wanting to talk about suicide on a regular basis. I thought, my gosh, that's a horrible job. How sad and right. how, um, 
tragic that would be. And they approached me a couple more times after that. But to be honest, it was an article that I read that was published by Alaska Public Media that highlighted the statistics and the sense of urgency that um, Alaska is facing. Power up. And as a longtime Alaskan, I really found it important to lend my voice to an area where I thought that I could make a difference. And um, the statistics, as you mentioned, start at age 10. And it broke my heart to think right. that a 10-year-old might be feeling um, some kind of way where they're opting to take their life. And what can I do about that? So after some uh, internalization and self-exploration, I decided that this was what I wanted to do and have been doing it since 2019. It's also important to know I'm not a mental health professional. I didn't go to school to, to talk about mental health. I, didn't, uh, I wasn't educated in this. Um, and all of the trainings that I've received has come through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And I say that because I want people to know and understand that you don't have to be a mental health professional to help prevent suicide within our communities. Now, that's a really important point because it's up to all of us, I think, to educate ourselves, not just mental health professionals, on the signs, what you're looking for in your family, among your friends, and in the schools, how do kids deal with it? I mean, there are so many teachers uh, really need to be up to date on this stuff. So you're right. This is an effort that requires everyone. I mean, that's sort of the approach, correct? Yes, Absolutely. All right, community engagement. Um, so some of the stuff, I guess talk about the mission um, and some of the history of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention real quickly for folks who might not be familiar. Yeah, so we're a nationwide organization with chapters in all 50 states. Some states have multiple chapters because their population is so dense. Alaska, you know, we have, what, around 700,000 people. So we have one chapter trying to do the work uh, across a very vast geographic area. But AFSP started back in the late 80s with a bunch of medical professionals at that time who were starting to recognize a real need to come together and to provide information and resources to people who have been impacted by suicide. And so while we're a relatively young organization compared to a lot of national nonprofits, we've made great leaps in what we know and understand about suicide, about mental health, and specifically about prevention. And that's achieved through funds that we raise through our community events and, and other efforts. But um, it's, it's really about engaging the community. And so, as I, as I mentioned before, our mission is to save lives and to bring hope to those affected by suicide. And we do that in a number of ways, including community programs, uh, presentations. We have a number of them scheduled for this month. We host major events uh, like the Out of the Darkness Walks. Uh, we help educate people on how to organize a peer support group. Uh, and, and really, the list goes on and on. It's fairly robust what we do. It's hard to narrow it down to you know, just a few things. Right. Um, all right. Well, speaking of some of those community events, we've uh, originally, you had reached out to us to sort to get on, I think, last week, but we already had uh, a guest scheduled, and there were some things going on in the community, and certainly want people to be aware of them uh, for next year, but can you talk a little bit about some of the, some of those events you mentioned that are coming up, and like the ones we, we missed as well? Sure. 
Um, you know, I can start with the Out of the Darkest Community Walk. This is an annual event that we host uh, in several cities throughout uh, Alaska and even some remote villages. Um, so the Anchorage Out of the Darkness Walk is usually how we wrap up National Suicide Prevention Week in Anchorage. And we host a, a walk. We bring people together. Um, oftentimes, there are people who have lost someone to suicide and are just looking for a community to connect to, to uh, aid in their process of healing, uh, or even looking for opportunities to grieve in, in a way that makes sense to them, or they're trying to just make sense of the situation. Um, we also have several people that attend because they want to support the cause. They've not maybe lost someone to suicide or they don't know someone struggling, but they see the, the, the need. And so they come out and they support our efforts. And so we bring together, um, you know, even in times of COVID, which was really, it was a hard decision to move forward with an in-person event, but so many people reached out to us and urged us to, to gather together uh, as safely as we could to um, bring more awareness to this cause. So we had approximately 300 people in attendance. It was an outdoor event. We walked about three miles, and we had guests, speakers, and presenters from all walks of life, including the Alaska Black Caucus. We had identity uh, members of the Native Village of Eklutna, uh, Anchorage Assembly members, and uh, members of the governor's administration came to speak to the importance of uh, bringing awareness to this cause. So it was really wonderful. Yeah, the, the title... Uh, out of the dark, um, it really kind of it just triggered something in my head about about stigma and um, what is the basis for the name? Is it about that stigma? Is it is it about shining light on this? Because so many folks that I've worked with who have had a relative or a friend or a child who died by suicide are just wrapped up in this like veil of shame and questions and and they don't. It's not a hard thing to. I mean, it is a very hard thing to talk about and to share with your friends, and um, there seems to be some stigma associated with that. So what is the, what is y'all's role in helping to, to shine that light? Yeah, the, the name really does say it all. It's, it's really meaningful for a lot of folks to, to bring what is perceived as a really dark topic mm -hmm. or something that people might be ashamed of or afraid to bring out in the open to do just that, to, to bring it out to the forefront, because more people are impacted than we'd like to think. Uh, one in five families will experience a suicide loss uh, in, in the United States. And so with that many people being impacted, it's really important that we find opportunity to talk about it, to bring light to it, to get it out in front of as many people as possible to reduce that stigma and even eliminate it whenever possible. Yeah, you hear numbers like that, one in five, 20%, and that it's shocking um, to think that those numbers are so high. Can you talk a little bit about uh, here in Alaska, closer to home? Do you have some Alaska statistics that are uh, pertinent or, or can raise some awareness for folks? Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, the, the numbers come out really slow. So any information that we have for uh, 2021 is actually from 2019. Right. And in 2019, we saw the highest number of suicides on record for the state of Alaska, more than 200 suicide deaths. 
Um, that equates to about one every other day um, someone was taking their life. And the statistics, wow. as mentioned before, start at age 10. So mm. it's the first leading cause of death for young people in our state, ages 10 to 34. And it stays in the top 10 leading causes of death up to the age of 54. So that means that it's not just a young person problem. It's not just uh, an, a, an ethnicity problem. It's an Alaska problem. And it is something that we can prevent and something that we can change because just the year prior, we were one of two states that saw a reduction in the overall suicide rate. So we know that it can be done and we know that it's, it's possible, but it takes many hands to achieve those goals. All right. For anyone who might be tuning in late, my guest today is Area Director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, Dustin Morris. The focus of today's conversation is suicide prevention. If you uh, would like to join us today, you can uh, call us in Anchorage at 550-8433. You can reach us toll-free if you're listening outside of Anchorage at one 888 and you can email us your thoughts at line one at alaskapublic.org. All right, Dustin, the, I had you all on. Kim Hancox was a board member at that point uh, in 2016, and you mentioned the rates went down in 18. Um, at that time, the suicide rates in 2016 were up across all groups. And so I'm wondering, what do we know about the suicide rates five years later after that show? Is it still, is it increasing? Is it holding steady? How do, we, how do you feel about the efforts and are they reaching and having the results that, that you all want? Well, <clears throat> the numbers seem to wax and wane quite a bit. Um, as, as mentioned, 2018 was the first time that we saw uh, a reduction in the suicide rates. It was only 2%, but still that's an achievement an accomplishment worth being excited about than just the following year in 2019, we saw the highest number on record ever. Um, it's really hard to pinpoint what's contributing to those numbers going up and down. But the one thing that we do see that's pretty consistent is that we remain in the top five uh, states for suicide rates. Right now we're second in the nation. Um, and there's, that means that there's a lot more work to be done. What we are seeing uh, is that um, there's been more collaboration, more conversation, and more efforts being poured into this than ever before. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention Alaska chapter is working closely with the State Suicide Prevention Council, uh, the Anchorage Suicide Prevention Coalition, the Juneau Suicide Prevention Coalition, the 988 Coalition uh, run by the state and several agencies as we work towards making a transition from a uh, 1-800 number to a three-digit lifeline number. We're working with the Alaska Mental Health Trust and uh, other outside agencies, or not out of the state, but just out agencies that are not within the mental health scope to advocate for better public policy to create more opportunity to bring awareness to the importance of uh, mental health and mental health care and preventative measures uh, overall. So it's it's exciting work, and, and it does take time to see those efforts come into place when you uh, hope to see the rates go down. What those statistics don't show, and is even harder to measure, is how many lives we've potentially saved 
um, how many people didn't go on to die by suicide. And I think that's really critical that we find a way to perhaps measure that and to show people that there is hope and that people can cope with their mental health and treatments available. And it, it varies from person to person what that might look like. Yeah, that is a uh, success is a hard thing to measure in this area, right? Like it's hard to find those people who would have but did not um, based on your efforts. So it's sort of an unknown, but that's a an interesting point. Um, all right, speaking of, well, I do. I don't want to miss the resources that are coming up. I think I got sidetracked on on something else. But what are some of the the things that people might know want to know about in the community, and and how can they get involved in some of the things that are coming up in the next month or so? Yeah. So with the with COVID kind of breathing down all of our necks, so to speak, we've really had to make some transitions. And one of those things that we have done and done really, really well is make our programs available online so people can attend virtually from their homes or their workplaces or wherever they choose to tune in from. And so with that being said, and September being such a critical month for suicide prevention, we have scheduled uh, weekly presentations, uh, including Tomorrow, we will have a presentation of More Than Sad, uh, recognizing de- uh, depression in teens for parents and guardians. And so this is a program that's designed to help uh, parents or adults that have young people in their lives, specifically teens, recognize what's normal adolescent behavior and what's something that they might be, uh, should be concerned about and how to connect to resources for help. Um, In addition to that, we have a program called More Than Sad that we'll be um, making available to the public. And we have, uh, or sorry, Talk Saves Lives. Okay. And we have various various modules of that. Uh, The one that we'll do at the end of the month is specific to LGBTQ communities and those that support uh, or allies of the LGBTQ plus community. And it's talking about risk factors that are specific within that community and how we can better address those and how we can uh, be better allies to those that might be at higher risk than others. Um, most of these programs you can find on AFSP.org slash Alaska. That's our local chapter website. Okay. And uh, you can register for them. They're all free. And if anyone wants to request a presentation, they can always reach out to us and our contact information is on uh, the website as well. So they can get it afterwards. Um, oh, you mean request a presentation to come and, and speak? Yeah. I thought yeah. you meant like they were recorded and you could get them afterwards. No. Um, no, unfortunately, we don't record them. And part of that is for safe messaging. If someone right. were to have a reaction right. during the presentation, we want to be able to assist them. Makes sense. Um, all right. Uh I guess, like, over the last 18 months, you mentioned the pandemic. Well, actually, let's go ahead and take, uh, we're up against our 20-minute break because that's going to be more than a one-minute conversation, I think, or a question. Uh, So if you are just joining us, uh, you are listening to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. Today, we are discussing suicide prevention with Dustin Morris from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. If you have a comment or a question for Dustin, please don't hesitate to give us a call or send us an email. Our Anchorage phone number is 550-8433. It's 550-8433. 
Our toll-free number, if you're listening outside of Anchorage, is one 353 And you can also email your questions to us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll continue our conversation about suicide prevention. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and this is Line 1, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. Line One, your health connection comes to you from Alaska Public Media and is made possible with support from Providence Imaging Center with over 30 years of commitment to the community with a comprehensive patient-centered focus approach. Learn more at provimaging.com. The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in, my guest today is American Foundation for Suicide Prevention Area Director Dustin Morris. The focus of our discussion is suicide prevention. As always, you can email your questions or comments about today's show to line one at alaskapublic.org. You can call us in Anchorage at 55084. Three three, or you can reach us toll free from anywhere you might be listening to us today at one eight 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 three five three five seven five two. Okay, uh, right before the break, we I have a question here about uh, you mentioned some of the pandemic stuff. We also I also noted that um, when I was doing research that the numbers are really from two thousand nineteen, um, so it's hard to really understand the impact of COVID, but I can tell you uh, from experience of myself and, and other uh, professionals who are working in the mental health community in Alaska that uh, we're all full and depression, anxiety rates, isolation, all those things that come from uh, a lack of connection are really sort of boiling over. And it makes sense that um, people might be really, really vulnerable um, to thoughts of self-harm um, and suicide. So what are have you all noticed? Is there any data out? Uh, what do you notice about the impact of pandemic on suicide rates? The Alaska Care Line has done a really good job at tracking the uh, number of calls that they get and the types of calls that they get. Um, and that entity has shared some of that information with organizations like the Alaska Mental Health Trust and the state, Statewide Suicide Prevention Council. The last report that I saw indicated that in the last quarter of 2020, they had a more than 50% increase in calls to the Alaska Airlines. Wow. Now, those calls don't mean that everybody was suicidal. Right. Many of them were looking for coping mechanisms to deal with their increased stress, their increased anxiety, their feelings of depression, or even how to cope with feeling isolated from everyone else. And so 
there's been drastic increase in outreach uh, across the state and even across the nation. What we don't know yet is if that will result in an increase in suicides or suicide attempts. We have seen um, some preliminary numbers that indicate that perhaps suicide attempts have uh, increased since the beginning of the uh, pandemic in 2020, but there are no definite uh, numbers out at this point. We should know more uh, later this year. Uh, in December is typically when those numbers are released for 2020. But from a local perspective and, and just what we've experienced within our chapter is a lot of increased outreach uh, from different organizations, including workplaces, that are seeking to gain more understanding of what to do when they're concerned about someone. And I think that's one of the great outcomes of COVID, and it's unfortunate that we have to phrase it that way, but right. one of the positive outcomes of COVID is now more than ever, people are talking about mental health. It is a regular daily conversation that you hear about. It's something you see on the news. It's something you read about in the paper. It's it's something that you hear on the radio. It's, it's a regular part of our conversation now, um, which is resulting in more people seeking understanding and creating more opportunity for people to seek help when they need it. Right, and you are seeing things like, uh, I mean, professional athletes speaking out, um, Simone Biles and uh, the young, uh, young woman who, uh, the tennis player, I can't remember her name uh, at the moment, but yeah, speaking out about mental health and how it is really, really important. Um, so that that sort of awareness uh, is is nice that it's growing, but it also seems to be almost another, you know, tension point in our community and the, the division and people saying, oh, you know, toughen up and, you know, be an athlete and all this sort of other side of that question. So uh, it's interesting. I also wanted to point out that you made a really good point about the 50% increase in calls um, to the hotline. I have some uh, some clients who actually have said they've called the hotline quite a few times, but not because they were ser they were feeling suicidal. It was just somebody to talk to at one o'clock in the morning when things are getting you know in their head and swirling and they're depressed or super anxious. So it's not that it's necessarily you know reaching out because they're suicidal, but just reaching out to talk. Um, and that's kind of what you were talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's important for people to know that the Alaska Care Line or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline are not just crisis lifelines. They're also helplines. Yes. So if you're feeling any kind of way, somebody is always going to be there to take your call. If you feel like you can't call your friend at one o'clock in the morning, well, you can call these uh, helplines and someone will be there to listen to you. And also they're trained to know how to connect you to help if it's needed. All right. So for anybody who might be out there listening, can you give us those those helplines or um, tell us who people can call, how they can reach out? I'm sure that is uh, on your website, but um, can you just throw it out there for us? Yeah, absolutely. So the Alaska Care Line is 1-877-266-435. Now, that number is available 24-7. There's always going to be someone there. To take that call. If you call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, it's 1-800-273-8255, and it's the same. 
And to be honest, you likely, if you're calling from a 907 area code, will be redirected to someone at the care line because they are a part of that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline network. Um, and something to look forward to is the three-digit lifeline number that will be available uh, as early as July of next year. This is a national effort and is the reason why starting next month, everyone's going to have to use a 10-digit uh, number when they call their friends or family or other people for business. You have to use that area code uh, in order to get a call through. Okay, and there it's moving to a three-digit? Is that what you said? Yeah, it's going to be 988 starting oh. July of 2022. Okay. All right. Um, I do have a, a caller, uh, and we'll go with uh, he's been on for quite a few minutes. So, Gene in Wasilla, uh, you have a question for Dustin? Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. we got you. Okay, yeah. I, I just wanted to call in and let you know my son, uh, uh, you know, this spring committed suicide. He, he'd been... Um, he was driving home from work with his bicycle. He got he had a helmet on and everything. He got hit by a drunk driver. Uh, but, you know, he, at the time, nobody knew the real extent of his injuries. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and so then, you know, uh, after, after about 19 or 20 months, he committed suicide. But uh, I, I was just wanting to really bring up the awareness of, recognizing the TBI potential of problems that that would introduce and, and, and how, you know, I mean, I, I didn't recognize any problems that he was having, but he was, you know, he, uh, I think it was more like, yeah, I don't know. You know, Mm. he kind of had, had changes, uh, mood swings, uh, that you know that that people seen are you know right. some people seen but didn't put it together with his TBI. So, what what do you have to say about that kind of stuff? So, yeah. Well, uh, Gene, you bring up a really good point, um, and I'll let Dust, Dustin comment on it in a second. But um, traumatic brain, brain injuries often have uh, some impacts on mental health and depression um, is one of them that that often happens after traumatic brain injury not just from the brain injury but also from the loss of functioning and the loss of like relationships sometimes personalities change with brain injuries so i think that's a, a really good point uh you bring up is if if you know somebody who suffers a pretty traumatic brain and you know a traumatic brain injury then it's important to keep an eye on that mental health and really hook them up uh, with doctors and with therapists and with folks in the TBI community, he can really sort of tease that out and assess that better because I think some of the minor head injuries, and I've done quite a few shows on the head injuries, but they get missed and they slip through the cracks and it's just, you know, well, they're just a little bit more irritable or whatever, but, um, you know, it's easy to see a massive head injury, but the smaller ones often come along with that sort of depression and mental health problems and it is a, a common thing. Um, for folks with TBI. Do you have anything to add to that, Dustin? Yeah, I would just say, um, one, I'm very sorry for your loss. That's always yeah. um, sad to hear, and I appreciate you coming forward to share your story. Um, 
But like what's been mentioned, traumatic brain injuries, uh, as well as chronic illnesses or chronic pain can all alter someone's mental health. And it's really important to um, lean into those moments when someone is acting out of character, whether that's how they're talking, whether that's how they're acting, or just their general mood is to inquire what's going on and when necessary, seek medical attention. Um, in your case, there probably was nothing that you could have done differently, and, and it's a really unfortunate outcome. But um, there are studies that are increasingly focusing on traumatic brain injuries and how they're affecting mental health and specifically how they're affecting the um, suicide. Yeah, and there's uh, the military is doing a lot of research on brain injuries and mental health and, and linked to suicide and PTSD. It's It's very complicated um yes thank you so much to our caller for calling and uh sharing that information it's important that people hear that um so thank you i do have an email i want to read that's um is a good question does the suicide rate in lgbqt change after a transition transition surgery so um i i this caller's talking about transgender and what are the uh, what what information do you have about that group? Yeah, what we know is that, um, it, you know, I don't know specifically after a transition has taken place, but I do know that for our transgender community that the suicide risk factors uh, are increasingly more significant than others within the LGBTQ community. Um, I think it's 3.7 times more higher um, so there are several risk factors to take into consideration um, and to be able to offer support. We do have a, a presentation on that at the end of the month. If you'd like to attend, um, you can register for it for free at AFSP.org slash Anchorage. Um, just click on the events tab. But there you'll, we'll be able to go over that in more depth. But there is an, certainly an increased risk factor amongst our trans population. Okay. Um, yeah, that is a that is a high risk group, and um, there have been. It's a really great question uh, about what happens with that after transition, and that's something uh, um, certainly I'm curious about now, and so I'll, I'll look into. Ethel um, call or wrote an email that she wanted to pass along her frustration with the lack of training recognition of teenage depression, like Dustin just mentioned. Most people don't know how to tell between regular puberty angst and suicidal thoughts. Um, when does it get dangerous? When does it turn from sad to depressed, Dustin? And, and when do when should parents get, what should they look for in their kids? Because that's a, that's a scary thing, obviously. And what should they look for as far as the difference between normal teenage stuff? Do you have any any ideas on that? Yeah, I, I do have some thoughts on that, and, and most of them come from our, our programming that we offer to the community. Um, one is anytime you're the young people in your life, uh, regardless of their age, start acting out of character. If this is persistent, if this if they're sleeping more than normal or if they're having trouble sleeping, if they're easily irritated more than what you think is, is normal for the, the kids in your life, um, or they're withdrawing from activities that they would normally be excited about, 
these are times to inquire more. And oftentimes, kids are really good at camouflaging what's really going on. They're very good at brushing you off. And so one thing that I would encourage adults to do is to be persistent um, and be patient. Be patient with yourself and with the young people in your life because these things take time. Um, and, but if you fear that there's an immediate danger, then that's when you want to call 911 or you want to uh, get a medical professional involved and, and maybe just have an evaluation. Um, I know medical care is not easily accessible for many of us, but there are many organizations out there that will work on a sliding scale uh, to support our community members and to get them the help that they need. Yeah, and I'll um, I'll add to that. Like for teenagers, moodiness is pretty uh, pretty par for the course, and uh, kids can get get angry and irritable, and they're all over the place. But as Dustin mentioned, the things you look out for are significant changes, uh, loss of interest in activities that they used to enjoy, uh, change of friends, increased drug use, uh, withdrawal from the family. I mean, all those things, those big personality changes, if it's more like moodiness, ups and downs, and they're still engaged in school, sports, um, friends, those those are the things. You, you look for the protective factors, like what's happening um, in their life that is positive. So keep an eye on your kids and listen and talk. And, and they don't want to talk to you, but um, <laughs> listening is important and noticing what do you see and trust, trust your gut. Um, as a parent, I think, if something really feels off. Um. Yeah, I would, I would agree with all of that. The last thing I would just add is that um, lend your voice to advocacy efforts. There are several legis- pieces of legislation that need to be prioritized and pushed through so that young people have the opportunity to learn in the classroom how to better protect their mental health and how to look out for each other. Yeah, and there's, um, I, I love uh, MHATS, the mental health advocacy through storytelling group that I've had on the radio several times. And so I'll give them a shout out. But a lot of those uh, young folks have benefited so greatly from sharing their story and their struggle. When we talk about these things as young people, they don't seem as big. I think that's why these suicide, uh, the support groups that you're talking about, um, and, and these walks just coming out of the darkness and realizing you're not alone there's there's this is really a pandemic sort of uh proportion it is an epidemic and um people are are struggling and hurting and so i think it's the more that we can connect um that's where that's where healing lives uh all right so what are some let's just talk about like the basic uh risk factors um, I touched on some of them, but do you have sort of a list there of what parents or friends or uh, husbands, spouses? Because this is, it's across the board. It's not just for any population of people. This is everybody from every socioeconomic group, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, mental health doesn't discriminate like so many other uh, of our leading causes of death. But some things that we can do or, or recognize are the intersecting factors that can contribute to a crisis situation and being able to recognize um, when somebody might be more at risk than others. And I don't mean treat them differently, but just be aware. And those risk factors include someone's health, someone's uh, historical factors, and their environment. 
Um, when we have access to lethal means, then that can be uh, a recipe for disaster. And when we look at our medical history, you think of your, your physical history. Like, do you have a history of cancer in your family? Do you have a history of this in your family? Those are questions that you get asked about from a physician. But think back, do you have a history of mental health issues within your family? Is depression uh, chronic within your, your family line? And, you know, what can you do to better protect your mental health? It's just like your physical health. There are things that we can do. There are measures that we can take to try to build up a healthier frame of, of mental awareness and just overall well-being. And they very much mirror what you would do for your physical health. Um, all right. Are there certain... Uh so those some of the risk factors, some of the things to look for. What about the protective factors? What can we do ahead of time as parents or friends? What are some of the protective factors that reduce the risk of suicide for people? Yeah, self-care is, is a big part of your mental health uh, process, right, and, and a, a great protective factor. It's one that I really like to talk about because I think it's most accessible for people. There are things like you're going to hear about all the mindfulness and the apps right. and, and the meditating and the yoga, and those things are great and they do work. They're very effective. But many of us just don't have the capacity with within us to do those things. So a few simple things that we can do to help protect our mental health is, one, limit our news consumption. News has a big impact. Limit our social media time. We can spend hours on yeah. the internet just scrolling through news feeds try to be aware of that and limit that to maybe just a couple hours a day instead of several hours a day um make sure you stay connected to your family and social groups and you know that could be your church group that could be a sports group that could just be you know sunday dinners with your family but keep those traditions in place and make sure that you have a community that supports you and recognizes when you're not doing so well. Other things you can do is just take a deep breath. When you feel those moments of anxiety and stress come on, give yourself a moment to pause and reflect. Um, have an, uh, a stress bag available to you. This is something I just learned about. It's really great. You can put simple things in a little bag that you keep on your desk or by your bedside. And when you're feeling those moments of high anxiety or stress, you can reach for it. And these should be bags that are filled with things that engage all five of your senses. And they're simple things like, like mints, when those little plastic bags, when you feel it, you hear it, you see it, you can open it and smell it, and then you get to taste it. And that can be a stress reducer. Um, having something to fidget with is, is helpful and a protective factor. But really, um, what I would say is stay connected to your communities, whatever those communities look like, uh, whether that's your immediate family, extended family, sports group, work place, whatever it is, but just do your best to stay engaged. And, um, and that is a protective factor in itself. Yeah. Connection, um, is so super important for humans. Uh, and, and if you are finding that someone that you normally are in connection with is dropping off, it's important to reach out to that person, right? Don't just let them disappear into isolation. If you haven't heard from somebody in a while, reach out, connect, go for a walk. Um, 
those are all really good points. I am past my 40-minute break, so if you are just joining us, my guest today is the Area Director for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, Dustin Morris. The focus of today's show is suicide prevention. In the Anchorage area, you can call us at 550-8433. If you're outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752, and our email address is line one at alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we will continue for more of our conversation. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and this is Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone is excited for the 2021-2022 school year. It's important to prepare for an active year ahead. Whether you play competitive sports or just enjoy being active, it's important to make your overall health a priority. So get your COVID-19 vaccine, stay active and involved, check in with friends and family, and bounce back from COVID together and make it a great year. This message sponsored by the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in, my guest today is American Foundation for Suicide Prevention Area Director Dustin Morris. The focus of today's talk is suicide prevention. As always, you can email your questions or comments about today's show to line one at alaskapublic.org. You can call us in Anchorage at 550 550- 8433, or you can reach us toll free at 1 If you want to call us in, it's important to do it in the next uh, four or five minutes because um, we are coming towards the end of our the end of our time. Um, all right, I'm getting quite a few emails that are quite complex and with people who are really frustrated and afraid and um, don't know what to do with people who can't get help right now, in part because the hospitals are overwhelmed and um, and maybe their kids don't fit quite into the right uh, you know the right category to get residential, and and we have a serious lack of um, resources or or facilities here in Alaska for. Uh, residential care for some of our higher need young folks and they uh, the the writer points out quite well that um, a lot of kids and I've run this into this with my own clients is trying to get them in somewhere uh, because they don't quite meet uh, they're not quite suicidal enough or um, they have other issues that are a bit more too complex for for the facilities here and they just sort of get moved around and so I just wanted to acknowledge some of that frustration and and I have felt it um, as well with with my clients especially recently it's hard to get help so um, thank you for the email and I have uh, I will write you back and and maybe we can hook up on this one person uh, in particular to get some ideas so I'll need some more information all right Um, Dustin uh, what about 
the situation, and this is one that is really, really hard, especially for teenagers. If a family friend or a kid comes, I hear this all the time in my office. The kid comes in and says, so-and-so told me that they were going to kill themselves, and they they made me promise, swore to secrecy, that I can't tell anybody. Um, How do people handle that? Yeah. That's one that I get even from adults. Yes, right? like adults too. Somebody, want, you know, I'm afraid that I'm going to break their trust or they're going to be angry with me. First and foremost, it's okay if they get angry with you. At the end of the day, they'll get over that. What we won't get over is the grief that we carry with us for the rest of our lives when we lose someone um, that maybe we could have helped. And that's, that's not an ultimatum for anybody. It's just to let you know people will get over it. Um, if, if they're upset with you. But what we really try to emphasize when we're giving our education programs is if you're having a conversation about someone's mental health is not to make those promises because we're trying to establish trust. And we want the individual who's confiding in us to trust us, to know that we're there to help them. And, you know, one of the ways that we can approach that is, hey, look, I, you know, everything that we talk about is confidential unless we need to get additional help. There are things that maybe I can't do for you that we might need someone else to give you support. So while I understand the need for you to want me to keep this between us, there may be a time where I need to get somebody else involved. And just be upfront about it. Uh, I think you have to be upfront because we want to establish that trust. And you know, maybe the fear is or the risk is is that now they're not going to talk to you. But I think if you keep, if you stay persistent, if you keep um, showing that you're a safe person to confide in, that they'll come back around to you. But also, again, I think it's more important that we get people the professional help that they need when it's needed um, and give them time and space to get over being angry with us than to have to carry that grief if we lose someone. Yeah, and I have um, personally seen, you know, in my practice, both situations where someone did not tell and a suicide, uh, someone died by suicide, um, which was really, really hard for that person. Um, And the people who did tell and then had to deal with the anger from their friend or whatever. But I will tell you, um, the information I give to the kids in my office is you got to tell an adult. You have to t- and tell your friend that I'm going to tell because I care about you, right? Because I love you and you're important and I want you alive. Um, Absolutely. And it, it never fails that people almost 100% of the time come back later and say thank you, right? Yeah. Thank you for that after they get help. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for taking that risk and, and getting me the help that I was not able to get. Um, but it's hard for teenagers. Uh, you're in that space. I can fix it. I'm the only one who can talk to them. I hear that like, oh, they only trust me. So, but that's a burden for kids also. Uh, that's really not fair to, to expect, uh, them to be able to handle that. So, um, yeah, what should, who should somebody talk to if they believe it? Who should they tell? Is it, uh, yeah. Who do they talk to? Yeah, I mean, if, if, it's, if it's a kid, you always want to involve a trusted adult. That could be a parent, that could be a teacher, that could be a coach, that could be a, a, a spiritual leader. Uh, as long as it's a trusted adult that you feel comfortable sharing that with, you should do it. You should always reach out to a trusted adult 
And if you are an adult, um, you, you know, avoid the perception of gossiping, right? Like we're not just telling our friends right. to tell our friends for the sake of did you know? It's really how can I help connect you to someone that can assist, whether that's calling the lifeline with you, whether that's helping you schedule an appointment with uh, with a physician, or whether it's even driving you to an emergency center, um, be present and get someone else involved if it's needed. I had a, uh, a young lady who, who was asking me what to do and um, the th- the plan we came up with that this lady was gonna young lady was gonna go to her friend and say I need you to go now and to talk to your parents right or I will so it was really an offer um, to support her and to go with her in that and but uh, the decision that she made was you will tell you will talk to somebody and get the help or I will and I'll keep you safe and I thought that was very powerful is to offer her friend the opportunity to to take that on. So, um, all right, let's, uh, we've got Kristen in Anchor Point who's been on hold. Uh, you got a question for us, Kristen, or a comment? Well, yeah, I was just wondering if you had any numbers on the rates of suicide among uh, the different ethnic uh, groups of people, like among blacks and Native Americans and Asian Americans. And are there any studies to find out why in some populations there's such low uh, suicide rates and in other populations why there's large suicide rates and if they can be translated, you know, with population that has low suicide rates, what goes on there that allows them not to want to just go out and kill themselves? So uh, I'll, take my, I'll take the answer off the air. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kristen. Dustin, differences in... Uh, different groups are there higher rates among others and what are those attributed to if so yeah well there, there definitely are uh, when we break it down by ethnicity we do see that uh, Alaska Native and American Indian um, ethnicities tend to have a higher uh, suicide rate and risk factors uh, followed by non-hispanic whites and then I believe it goes into Hispanics black and other uh, and that other includes Asian uh, and Pacific Islanders tend to black populations and Asian populations tend to have a lower suicide rate statistically. Um, but, you know, what's contributing to that? I think there's so many things and I'm not an expert in that at all. But there are certainly several studies that are out there that are accredited. But one of the things that I consistently hear is about uh, those historical envi- uh, factors, those environmental actors, and and those um, health factors that yes. are associated with risk. And when we look back over time, when we look at our society, we look how it's structured, um, and we look at the accessibility to help, uh, especially how limited it might be in rural populations, um, it's no wonder and more has to be done. And I think that goes back to uh, a lot of what you said previously about access to care. Yeah, the access to care, the um, access to good food and water and um, all the resources that, you know, health care, if people are isolated and uh, poverty is a, is a contributing factor. So, um yeah, those things, it is complex, and I'm glad you pointed out. It's not just as simple as one thing, but health, wellness, 
access to care, access to resources. Um, those are things that seem to be the big determining factor. Um, all right, we are coming right up to the end. I got a lot of emails that we're not going to get to. We're coming sort of to the end of our show here, and I want to give you an opportunity, Dustin, to kind of give us, you know, some of your take-home thoughts or something you'd like to leave. Well, actually, before that, I would like you to discuss post-intervention real briefly. Um, if someone's lost somebody recently, who can they reach out to? Who can they uh, talk to uh, to get some support for that? Yeah, they can always reach out to us at the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. There are other organizations like NAMI. Uh, NAMI has great resources, peer-to-peer support groups, the Alaska Fire and Police Chaplains, and you can always look to uh, 211 as another resource for post-pension uh, materials and uh, support groups. But everything that applies to prevention also applies to uh, post-pension. So they very closely mirror each other. And really what it boils down to is supporting each other and being kind to each other and giving each other the space that's needed to heal. All right, so take-home thoughts. We have uh, just about a minute left. I did do a show on on post-suicide uh, um, and how to, to reach out for help. That was a while ago with Iris Bolton. Um, if you Google her name, uh, you will get that show, which was very powerful. Her, her son died by suicide. Um, can you briefly just say why, why have we shifted the language about dying by suicide versus committing suicide? Yeah, language matters, right? We've seen an evolution in how we talk about things, and it's not about being politically correct. In this case, it's about reducing the stigma associated with mental health and suicide. Specifically, using the word committed has that negative uh, notion to it. And we're talking about a complex health issue. You wouldn't say somebody committed a heart attack or they committed cancer. So we want to avoid using phrases like committed suicide or uh, failed suicide attempt or successful attempt because those things imply judgment. Mm. And if someone dies by suicide, it really wasn't a success. No, it was a tragedy. Um, All right. Last thoughts. Last thoughts would be just take care of each other. Take care of yourself and reach out for help when it's needed. All right. Thank you so much. Um, Next week, Dr. Justin Clark will host a conversation about back pain with Dr. David Paulson. So be sure to tune in for that since uh, that's something we all suffer with. My thanks to our crack producer, Adeline Baxter, and to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby. Thanks to them both for making this all work. For all of us at Line One, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Till next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.